You're listening to a podcast of spurious morality. Welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and with me I have Mansoor. Hello. And I have Greg. Hello. And after a over a year long drought of Doctor Who, we're talking about our fourth recent episode, uh, which still feels a bit weird. Um, since this podcast started, there have been five episodes of Doctor Who broadcast, and four of them have been all within the space of one month and fairly recent. So it's it's, it's weird to have um, so much new Doctor Who, but we have got a bit of a break now. But we talked about the other three specials, so we thought we'd probably better talk about this one too. And thankfully, it was rather quite enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it anyway. Um, so just quick overall, what did you think of it? Mansoor, you go first. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was... Um... It was really good. I, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but it wasn't quite the sort of complete break and sort of entirely new um, era that maybe I had in my mind. There was a lot that was common or, or sort of familiar from the past, um, but I really liked the new Doctor. I really liked the new companion, um, and the story was decent enough. Um and yeah, we'll get onto the specifics, I'm sure, uh, in a moment. But yeah, very positive overall. Excellent stuff. And what about you, Greg? Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Um, it's very RTD in all the in all the best ways, and some of the some of the weaker ways, but mostly the best ways. Um, I yeah, I mean, I thought the new Doctor and companion were fantastic. I liked how the show took. It seems to be taking a little bit more of a of a fantastical turn with these uh, going forward. If this if this story is to be any any example, um, which I think is interesting and 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 welcome in many ways. And um, yeah, you know, just reading some of the hearing some of the behind the scenes stuff was interesting. It's it 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 definitely feels in many ways, you know, like. RTD era one, but at the same time, it, it does feel like a something heading off into a new era, and I like it for that. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. It's it's definitely not sort of what if Russell T Davis had carried on, and this was the start of series five. Um, it's definitely not an immediate continuation of where Russell T Davis left off, but. You're both very right in terms of it being it being very him 
and it being quite safe actually i think that you know we've talked about expectations already and there were sort of big expectations this what's it going to be how's this brave new era going to be and I think really what we got was a very safe, reliable, dependable Russell T. Davis episode, which set up the new Doctor nicely. I knew we, I know we saw him a bit in the giggle, but this was really his first, first proper go at being the Doctor on his own. Um, we, you know, we met Ruby, new companion. We got a bit about her background and her family, and there's a mystery behind the setup. It's quite Moffatty, actually, sort of the. The mystery behind the companion. Uh, no doubt that's going to be something that gets sort of picked up further down the line. I think. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was a solid sort of hour of adventure with two characters meeting each other and becoming Guitardist team. So a lot in common with Rose, I think. Um, although when you know, it's not maybe not fair to make direct comparisons, but like I feel like. Rose is much more of a masterclass in how to relaunch a series to a new audience. Um, just okay. There's a bit. There's little bits like you know the, the 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 rubbish bins and the CGI for Mickey that we look back and could possibly have been tidied up a little bit. But as a script, as a story, I think it's like masterfully structured in terms of introducing the Doctor, but doing it from Rose's point of view. I felt like Church on Ruby Road was doing some of that, but the structure of this new story wasn't quite as tight. It felt a bit more chaotic, a bit more messy, um, and it was trying to do some of the same thing of like taking Ruby's point of view, but then we see a lot of the Doctor before we uh, have the two of them meet, and then, so, uh, yeah, no, and, and the sort of first second third act structure was a bit strange for me as well that like you sort of have this setup of the goblins and then you kind of jump straight to this to, to, to the sort of end of the conclusion so yeah that, that that stood out to me a little bit the kind of shape of the story i think the um the thing that this had that Rose didn't, I guess, would have been the extra 15 minutes. Now, Rose is a masterclass, and it's quite fast-paced. It's not too fast. It's not the Daleks in colour, but it's um, it's it's really, really well-paced and perfectly paced for that 45 minutes. I do actually wonder yeah. if this had benefited from being 15 minutes shorter than it was. Um, just in terms of that structure and that tightness that you were talking about, maybe it it, it just does some odd stuff as well, which like it, it lands because of the performances, like the stuff about Ruby disappearing, and you feel that because of the performances from um, Shudigatwa and and from her mum. But it's kind of an odd decision to like introduce a brand new character and then like you know try to to make you feel sad about her disappearing it feels like maybe that's a trick you'd play like a few episodes into a series once once she's established uh, and then that kind of disrupts the structure of the whole story a little bit for me as well because then it should be about these two characters getting to know each other but then she's kind of absent for a chunk of that later half yeah i did think exactly the same thing it is a bit strange to disappeared your character for a bit and because we'd actually already met the doctor in the giggle maybe it'd have been better 
getting rid of the doctor and having Ruby bring him back somehow so we got to know her a bit better and she had that extra time as well. I do think that that disappearing her does tell you a bit more about her though insofar as you see what her mom's life would have been like had Ruby never come into it and that you know really shows what kind of I mean what kind of an influence she had and you know inspiring her mom to continue fostering like she did so i think there's some value to it but i agree it's it's a little confusing yeah it, it'd have been a shame to lose that scene because it was you know really dark really powerful and i think again like the giggle there was actually some really dark stuff hidden in this episode that was kind of perhaps buried under you know an, an excitable doctor and bombastic music and you know the pacing and all this kind of thing it's there was some pretty dark stuff and again it just feels like we didn't quite get the full impact of just how dark that was and we know Russell T Davis can write dark we know Russell T Davis can write dark on Christmas day um it's you know it may not be anyone's favorite episode but Voyage of the Damned yeah Voyage of the Damned is exactly how and Waters of Mars yeah they're both sort of exactly how to to combine sort of the, I guess, the frivolity of Christmas and the darkness of what's going on in the adventure itself. Um, but yeah, I, I I thought it was a really good, strong episode. It, it is a little bit RTD by numbers and it does, you know, what it needs to do, introduce the new Doctor properly, introduce the new companion and just give us an hour of something nice to do on Christmas Day. You know, it's RTD by numbers, but like I think when we say that, you know, we, we kind of overlook how ludicrously good of a TV writer he is because, you know, the what what he does better than almost anyone is introduce characters. Like he has just this ability to give you one scene with someone and you know everything about them and that's exactly what he's doing here. I mean, it's obviously multiple scenes with the principal characters, but I mean, what I love about his writing and, you know, and what I think is very similar between this and, and, and Rose going back to his first episode is that by the end of this story, like, you know, you have a, I mean, you don't know the bit about her background, but you have a pretty darn good idea who Ruby Sunday is and how she's going to react in certain situations. And, I think that's a testament to his ability. I think she's a very Russell T. Davis companion as well. Um, you know, she's already got a very strong, very unique personality. Um, and I think with, you know, with some other companions, they, they have just kind of popped up and that's it. They're the companion now. But there's definitely something about Ruby's character that's going to make her you know, a good special companion in the way that Rose was, in the way that Donna was. And yeah, like you say, Russell T. Davis is great at doing that and kind of letting you know everything about them very quickly. What did you what did you both think about the, the mystery stuff? Cause, because it has to do with Ruby, but like there's a lot of uh, yeah threads that are set up in this episode as well. What I like about it is that it's not it, it is set up as a mystery but it's a mystery more for the audience like it's not really set up as a mystery for the characters like we we know that ruby wants to 
find out, you know, about her biological parents, right? We know that. But there's no like, and, and we know that the doctor saw, you know, the, what we assume is her mother walking away and, you know, didn't go to see who it was. But unlike when we introduced, you know, like when Clara was introduced, for example, it was very like consciously, like the story was going to be, what's the deal with Clara? You know, what's going that was on a whole, here? That was a whole character pretty much at the, in the right. first, the first Whereas, whereas here we've got it set up, you know, to find these things out, but at the same time, if, you know, if it doesn't get mentioned for the next four or five episodes, I'm not going to feel like I'm being cheated or anything like that. I think it'll come up when it does, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be the dominant threat. I think it's just one of many things that'll be put through it. I wonder if we'll get some kind of equivalent to Father's Day, maybe, as one episode. Um, but it, it feels more like it's setting up for that than a big Bad Wolf-style what-was-the-mystery-of-the-whole-series finale, yeah. Well, that's a very different type of thread, isn't it? Like, cause, Because Bad Wolf was just like this kind of random phrase in isolation that means nothing. At least with these mysteries, they have some... They've got something to do with the characters. Like, they, they're, they're, they've got a personal dimension... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. And I'm sure it will pan out. It, it's it, it's something that Russell T. Davis won't just leave hanging. It's not something that Big Finish is going to answer in 20 years' <laughs> time. Um, it's like, and you know, it, it turns out her dad was Belal all along. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's something that is going to get addressed, I think. Um, so when we discussed the giggle, there was so much to talk about that we barely uh, got a chance to talk about Shutagatwa as the new Doctor. You know, we agreed that it was an excellent 15 minutes that he was on screen. It was a great setup, but that's what it was. It was a setup. It was a finale for uh, the 14th Doctor, for David Tennant's Doctor, and it was a, a sort of a new beginning for Shutagatwa's Doctor. Um so it it was really busy setting things up, you know. Let's have a TARDIS each. Let's you know, all this sort of thing, and it kind of let us forego the post regenerative sulk crisis, whatever you want to call it, whatever it be. We're straight in. We're straight into a new adventure with the Doctor already in his costume doing Doctory things very much in the same way that we were with Rose. And obviously the fact that Rose um, already has an established Ninth Doctor that appears to have not just regenerated has given Big Finish the gap they need to do the thing. Um, and I kind of wonder if, you know, it is it is very similar here. You know, this Doctor has existed already. How long has he existed for? How long has this Doctor been the Doctor? It could have been 10 minutes for all we know. Church on Ruby Road is 10 seconds after the giggle for him. It could equally be that it's been years and years and years and years and years and he's had loads of adventures and we've no sort of baggage like the Time War to be looking at this time. In fact, the whole point is, the whole point of the giggle, the whole point of what's gone on is there is no baggage surrounding this new Doctor. So 
it's going to be kind of interesting to see if we get a hint of as to how long he's been around and you know what he's done and maybe that's something that Russell T Davis isn't bothered about now but if if Shooty Gatwa ever ends up a big finish I've got a pretty good idea that uh, we'll find out um but I thought he was great I, I I just thought he was immediately the doctor and I'm glad we didn't do the whole oh he's regenerated he needs to be asleep for 45 minutes of an episode thing I'm glad we just went straight into it we've got this new doctor he's doing doctory things still and he's kind of living outside of his usual or the doctor's usual lifestyle you know we're seeing him going dancing in a nightclub and all that kind of thing and okay you know you could argue he was just there because he was keeping an eye on ruby but nevertheless he was having fun and dancing in a nightclub it's the doctor on a day off it's great i think it's that tone of like like you're saying no baggage i think as well as establishing this is who this new doctor is i think that nightclub scene was about saying that yeah he's kind of in that um paradoxical way he's done that therapy um stuff through through 14 and the 15th doctor is now a little more baggage free and i think a really nice moment is when he just like like opens up about being adopted um uh just in the space of like knowing these people uh for a few minutes when the 13th doctor seemed to have such a massive issue with opening up in a similar way to to Yaz and other companions about being the timeless child he just he just says it in a kind of a very matter of fact honest way and i think that was a really deliberate decision to to show that this new doctor is a bit more at peace with himself and a bit more open yeah absolutely and it's i, I quite like that shift and one thing I have missed is, and I've, I've sort of mentioned this before, one thing I've missed is sort of the Doctor and Companions having fun. You know, you, you, we get an awful lot of talk about how amazing travelling in the TARDIS is and, you know, oh, we see all these things, we do all these things, but because of sort of the nature of Doctor Who and the requirements of entertaining an audience for 45, 50, 60 minutes, um, we always see some kind of Doctor Who adventure going on some kind of villain to fight or whatever and we don't see the doctor and and companions chilling out and when you think back actually we used to get a lot of that when you think back to the classic series we got things like um you know the doctor took leela to Ryan. well yeah and you know talons of wen chiang the doctor and leela went to london just to kind of go to the theater and have a bit of a laugh as part of leela's education and going fishing at the start of Two Doctors, um, all this kind of thing. Um, you know, the first episode of The Chase is almost entirely the Doctor, Vicky, Ian and Barbara just sunbathing. Um, and I'm not even start misremembering that. Yeah. Yeah, of course, there's that couple of week gap, isn't there? Um, <laughs> but they're just having a nice holiday. <laughs> so it, it's, it's nice to get things like that put back in because a lot of um particularly during the Whitaker era a lot of adventures had already started when we joined them you know when we first started flux the doctor and yaz were was it dangling over a pool of acid or something like that and 
you know, we were mid-adventure on that space train with Cybermen in um, in the Power of the Doctor. So it's it's nice to not be mid-adventure. It's nice to actually stop uh, for a little bit and something come organically out of nowhere, which is kind of what did happen here. Um but I've rambled on long enough, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Greg and just sort of give us a few thoughts on the new Doctor. I think he's fantastic, honestly. Um, you, you've talked about how nice it is to see him relaxing and at peace, and I think that you know seeing that. Granted, we don't know how long he's been around, but that certainly you know tells us that all of the Fourteenth Doctor's rest and recovery and post-adventure therapy time has contributed to this Doctor's personality, I would imagine. But he's just he's got this infectious energy about him. I mean, we. Paul McGann in the TV movie is about the only other doctor who is this just thrilled and excited to be doing what he's doing. And, you know, everything practically has a grin on his face, like even the life-threatening situations, he's just amazed at how cool it is. Like he's, he's just, he's, you can absolutely see why someone would want to travel with him and why he would be, you know, so much fun to to be with and then why he is appealing, you know, to Ruby or, you know, any companion really. Um, I also, I, I really liked the scene with him and the uh, police officer because, well, first of all, you know, we heard in the commentary that that scene was actually the result of a note from Disney saying that, you know, people wanted to see the doctor earlier. Um, and, RTD agreed with that and said, yeah, you know what, we should do that. And, and it's interesting because like, you know, when you have the scene with him in the club, it, it's kind of like setting up like, Ooh, who's this mysterious figure that, you know, Ruby is meeting, but then we just go to him in the next scene. So it does, it does undercut the, you know, mystery and from Ruby's perspective part of it a little bit. But honestly, like, even though this is supposed to be a jumping on point, like everyone knows what what's going on here. Like, I don't think really think we need to, to, you know, keep the doctor shrouded in mystery. And just that, that little scene is so perfect. Like, you know, the, when he assures the, 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 the policeman that the, that, you know, his fiance or his girlfriend is going to say yes, when he proposes and says, Merry Christmas, like that to me was my like, Oh yeah, this is the doctor moment. I mean, even taking not taking away from what happened in the giggle, but like there's always that moment, like in a doctor's first episode, when you're like, "Oh yeah, this is the person," and that was it for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, just his, his just, just his infectious enthusiasm is what I take away from this. There's there's little hints of you know emotional depth to him, and and you know, Shuti Gat was a very good actor, so you know, I anticipate we're going to see a lot more of that. But yeah, I mean, this one's just to, you know, hit the ground running with him and show like, yeah, this is someone that you'd want to explore the universe with. And, and it absolutely does that. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it was, like you say, hit the ground running just straight away. We've got a new doctor. We know he's going to be fantastic. I mean, we knew that in the giggle, but this is just sort of really hammered home how brilliant this is going to be. And I'm really sort of looking forward to seeing what happens now. And I've, I've, I've always looked forward to New Doctor Who. I will always look forward to New Doctor Who, but I'm really looking forward to this. 
anything you want to add, Mansour? Uh, not much. Uh, I think just the, the just his dynamic with Ruby um, stood out as well. Like even with that stuff about her disappearing for part of the story in the second half, um, they just instantly work well together. Uh, so. Yeah, looking forward to seeing both of them back. Well, we'll uh, we'll move straight on to next talking point, which is obviously Ruby. And you know, as we've said, she's had a pretty good introduction, and yeah, we've got this mystery behind her. But just sort of, what about the character? What about Millie Gibson? What kind of thing do we think there? Uh, again, Greg, do you want to go first? I like Ruby too. I think. Um, I think. There's you know, every you know, every Doctor Who companion is going to at least have some commonality because no matter who they are, they're going to need to have the you know both the love for adventure that gets them into the TARDIS and the the you know the the grounding and maturity that's going to allow them to appreciate what they're doing and face up to whatever challenges they see. And we definitely see both of those things in spades and Ruby. Um, what I like about her is that, you know, when, when we had, you know, she's presented as being 19 here. And I believe that was the same age as Rose was presented in the first, you know, in, in her first season. But I, I feel like, Ruby feels more like a 19 year old than Rose did, I guess. And part of that's because Millie Gibson is herself that age, but also just like, she's a little more unsure about the world. Like she's, she, you know, she had, she's carrying this little bit of insecurity with her about, you know, the, you know, who, you know, what's the identity of her, you know, her, her biological parents. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, she's, she's, you know, you can see when she's like up on stage, like, you know, performing, she's, you know, she's not the lead. She's kind of in the background a little bit. Um, but at the same time, she's not like shy or withdrawn or anything like that. Like she's actually, she's got a very commanding personality and I mean, her relationship with her mom and her grandmother are just fantastic. Like she's, she's a really appealing character. Like and again, I think that's the key, like much with the doctor, like you have to like the companion. I mean, you have to have this, you have to look at this person and, you know, as much as you have to look at the doctor and say, I want to travel with him. You also need to look at the companion and say, I want to travel with her. And that is certainly what happens here. I mean, you can see why these two characters are drawn to each other. You can see that, you know, she's not as confident as the doctor, but at the same time, like she still shares this like enthusiasm for adventure. Like the fact that she's visibly scared of heights, you know, but she's more than willing to try to push that aside, you know, to save the baby or to, you know, do what needs to be done. Like that's a nice little character moment that really isn't remarked upon. Um, you know, no one ever says, Oh, you're afraid of heights, eh? but you can clearly see that she is. And yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know, I, I, it, I, I'm rambling a little bit here because, you know, we, we have still have so much to learn about her. But at the same time, like it's a it's a compelling performance and, and I enjoyed it. And I'm very interested to see how she develops as the first season goes on. 
absolutely agreed. Just such a really, really strong and compelling start. Um, and, you know, I actually think, I mean, you know, it's hard to say after just one episode, but I actually think that I, I the one thing this has done, I know we, compete, we keep comparing it to Rose, but I suppose the reasons for that are obvious. I, I really do feel like I'm going to get on with this character a lot more after one episode than I did with Rose after Rose. I actually think it's done a better job of introducing this this companion character than Rose did, and Rose was, you know, virtually flawless uh, in terms of what it was trying to do and what it did. Um, so yeah, it, it's that aspect was certainly done brilliantly. Um, I still wish that she'd have been around for the whole episode and not had fifteen minutes where she ducked out, but you know that's that's it, it's not a character grumble uh, by any stretch of the imagination uh, anything you want to add Mansoor? well like i was saying i think it's impressive that she made such a positive impression even with dropping out the story for that amount of time um yeah i think like we've all said like a good performance and just like a really likable performance um i, I don't know if it's the writing or the the actor or or both but she and this comes back to the thing about you know getting back to the doctor and companion just having fun and um yeah, moving past some of the baggage that we've had in the past uh it feels like she's going to have a really fun nice dynamic with the doctor um so yeah really likable character in her own right and then her relationships with the mother with the grandmother um they all tell you something about the character and are also interesting to see um, in and of themselves as well. Um, and yeah, like, like, like I was saying before, when the timeline changes and you see what effect her absence has, I think that's a good point that that does tell you something about how important Ruby has been um, to her mother as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a really good way to establish her, I think. And it, it's, I do think maybe her sort of getting to the TARDIS and, you know, wandering in, wandering around it, maybe that was a bit rushed. We didn't actually go inside the TARDIS. We kind of saw it all from outside the TARDIS. And again, it's one of those things that kind of assumes you know what's going on here. Like, you know, if if you're watching this, you know what the TARDIS is and you know what she's witnessing and all that kind of thing but it would have been a bit rubbish to reveal that TARDIS console room for the third time in four episodes well I wonder if they're saving that because I don't know how much truth there is but I've seen um, uh, comments or speculation or reporting that it's really going to be from episode one of the new series that Disney are going to push the promotion so maybe that first walk around the TARDIS console the first conversation with the doctor where he actually explains that he's an alien and all of that maybe that maybe that happens at the start of episode one in may um and so that that then also works as a jumping on point for new viewers who are starting with that with that story it is interesting to to see what you know disney is doing because i mean that's how i'm watching Mm -hmm. the show is on disney plus and um it's branded as special four, isn't it? Yeah, that's weird. Like I, I can I can understand, you know, one, two, and three because those were decided on before the Disney deal went through, supposedly, and you know, 
Disney did absolutely no promotion for those whatsoever, but I mean, it did like separate trailers for this, and yet it's still just special four, which does not scream to me, this is a jumping on point, but I don't know. You had something different in the end end of the Disney Plus version, I think, because uh, in the UK version, we just had that mid credit scene and the credits. But I think, did you have like a sort of additional trailer or like something about like the new home of Doctor Who or something in the yeah, Disney Plus it, version? It wasn't a trailer. It like it did like the Disney Plus logo and then had like one of those things where, you know, like words go up on the screen, like shoom, shoom, that kind of thing. Right. But it was just like, you know, Doctor Who on Disney or something like that. It didn't tell you. It wasn't anything about the show i don't remember what okay. it said i'd have to watch it again but it, yeah it did that and then it did the mid credit sequence and then it did the credits so right <laughs> yeah fair enough i mean they're obviously they're obviously well invested in it anyway and it'll be interesting to see sort of how it does get ramped up uh when may comes along uh, and you know equally it'll be interesting to see sort of what what else is coming out of it? Because, you know, we're on to filming of Series 2 now. Um, and that's well underway, I believe, judging by things that are on Twitter and so on. Um, which, you know, it, does that mean that we're getting it same time next year? Is is May now Doctor Who month? Um, is that something that's established? Or are we going to have an 18-month gap? Or... Is it actually going to be two years before we see it, and are they going to sit some kind of spin-off that may or may not feature unit in the middle? Or it, it's going to be kind of interesting to see, you know, what what the format of the show is now that Disney are on board. That's kind of like the Disney model with things like Star Wars and Marvel, and and you, you could say that they've overreached with some of those big franchises with doing too much, but like. That the the idea of like n- never going too long without some sort of spin off being being put out. Yeah, because I'm I mean I'm I'm looking at Star Wars. I'm looking at the Mandalorian, um, where we had two series, one pretty much immediately a year after the other, and then we had Boba Fett, and then we had more Mandalorian, sort of eighteen ish months after that. So it's. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see just how consistent it is or if it has any impact at all. Um, I'd, I'd certainly like to get back to, you know, can we have a series each year? And if the cost of that is a reduced episode count, then so be it. I'd rather have eight episodes over, well, every year, eight episodes per year plus a special than 10 episodes over two years or 18 months or three years, whatever. Um, yeah, I've seen people tweeting about the episode count, but actually, if a shorter episode count means series more regularly, we're probably actually going to get more Doctor Who. They've also been pretty clear that you know Disney is not running the show here. You know, the BBC is still in charge, and RTD specifically is still in charge. And you know, he's talked about how he thinks that Doctor Who should you know have like the you know. Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of thing going because there's so many characters and so many stories that can be told. But I, I mean, I don't think there's anything that's going to get off the ground without, you know, his say so. And, you know, I, as much as 
you know, I like some of the stuff that say, you know, Dave Filoni has done for Star Wars, you know, he's basically a Star Wars super fan first, and then a, a writer and producer second, whereas RTD is always, as much as he is a gigantic Doctor Who fan, probably more than any of us, he's a writer and producer first, and he'll always put his fan instinct on the back burner if it's not good for the show. And, you know, I think that is something to be optimistic about going forward. No, I was just going to add about, like, the episode count that you mentioned. Um, like, as well as the show coming out regularly, which is a good thing, I, like, I'm willing to take a lower episode count if it means that the actual episode's quality is more consistent. Um, so, like, a really strong eight-episode run is better than a, a sort of mixed... 10 or 12 episode run. And uh, yeah, so you'd hope that fewer episodes means that they can they can put the time in both like pre-production and post to, to, to get each one as good as possible. I think it's probably fair to say that, um, I mean, I know that Flux's episode count was for very different covid reasons, but I think it's fair to say that Flux actually worked really well because it was only six episodes, wasn't it? Um, it, And I I like Flux. I thought it was good and it didn't feel like there was any... I'm hesitant to use the word filler, but an episode that's not particularly of consequence, shall we say. So I'm thinking of things like, I don't know, I guess Praxius, which I enjoyed, you know, it was a decent enough episode, but it it didn't sort of do anything beyond beyond its 50-minute runtime. Um, and I'm kind of okay losing episodes like that uh, because it's nice to have things that are self-contained, it's nice to have things that are, that are good, but it, it kind of... It feels like it just kind of kills the momentum of the series a little bit. You know, we'd had Fugitive of the Jadoon, which had kind of really got a few balls rolling in terms of where the series was going and set up a few mysteries and introduced us to a whole new Doctor. And then the week after that, it was not much happened and it did kind of take the wind out of the sails, where I think actually we'd have benefited if we'd have gone from something like Fugitive of the Jadoon straight to, um, maybe not straight to uh, Villa Diodati, but, you know, onto something a bit more storyline related, something that kind of continued the mystery, follow what's going on. And it's one thing I really liked about the sort of 60th anniversary specials trilogy was even though we had Wild Blue Yonder, which was, it wasn't a filler episode, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it, it was a lower key episode, but it all felt connected because it was this one sort of journey. I mean, it was only really a day or two in the Doctor and Donna's life, uh, that trilogy was. And I really liked that. It felt so coherent um, and it felt like there was some real momentum and that we were on the journey with them. Yeah. Series six, I think, was was bad for that in particular because you had all this earth shattering stuff about Amy and the pregnancy and River and then you had these again like you said they're not bad in themselves but just where they sit these episodes that sort of break the flow a little bit like series six could have been 
a really, really strong serialized eight-episode run um, rather than the sort of slightly disjointed version that we actually got on screen. But I think when you're talking about this, you have to look back at what what did RTD's original era look like versus Moffat's era versus Chibnall's era? Like, well, I mean, first of all, you know, in in in, in the Chibnall era, like series. 11 is very much its own thing and you know there's some little ongoing character beats in there but that's mostly just a series of standalone adventures and i mean granted i'm not the biggest fan of that season but it's not because of the adventures being standalone i think i think the issue that you run into with doctor who is that it's very difficult to do like a serialized story like that because of the massive scale that the show takes place on and when you start doing serialized stories like that, you you start like prompting the audience to ask questions about like, well, why doesn't the doctor just use his time travel ability? You know, blah blah blah. Um, but if you look back at you know series one through four, I mean, there's you know, sure, there's ongoing plot threads, you know, but it's really just like someone says bad wolf every once in a while, or someone mentions Saxon every once in a while, or you know, there's there's a, a ghost of Rose appearing in the background. What's going on there? You know, like it, it's not trying to set up this like intensely serialized material. Whatever's carrying on is mostly character related. And granted, I have no idea what you know Russell is going to do with this series coming up. I mean, who who knows? But I would expect it to be more like his old season series where there isn't like the strong serialized component. I would expect a lot of standalone episodes. And and to me, like as long as those give you like some more insight into the characters, as long as it's like something that's enjoyable to spend time with them, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. What I, what I have an issue with is, is the, you know, the scenario that you're describing where they set up like this really obvious, like this is the plot. This is the mystery that needs to be solved. And then the next episode has nothing to do with it. And you're like, well, what, what are you doing? Like, is it the mystery or not? That's what bothers me. But I, I don't think we're going to see that. I, I really don't. I think he's described it himself in the behind the scenes stuff. Like, like I think specifically the Mrs. Flood question and mystery, he's used the phrase slow burn. So I think you're completely right that it's going to be a lot of very fresh standalone stories before we get to any big progression of those mysteries and arcs. Hopefully. I don't want us to lose standalone episodes, but I do feel as though, you know, a shorter runtime does give you less time to do that. But then again, we know that they're filming series two now. So we're not really talking about eight episodes. We're talking about 16 episodes plus presumably another special. Um, So we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. I think, sort of a bit of a story that stretches over a few series definitely wouldn't do any harm. Like, we know Doctor Who's safe, and back in 2005, we didn't really. Okay, they announced series two and three straight after Rose, but, you know, when they were writing, when he was writing that first series, he had no idea that he'd have two series, three series, four series to work with, whereas this time he kind of does. Like, it ain't going to get cancelled after eight episodes. That's not going to happen at this point. Um, well, we'll move on. 
uh, and just um, obviously a big part of uh, the Church of Ruby Road was uh, the goblins and the song, uh, the song which we heard so much about and even charted in the UK and all this kind of thing. And it was, there was a good musical chunk of the episode. The Doctor and Ruby got in on it and um, I, I thought it was it was quite fun. It kind of carried on the, I'm thinking the Spice Girls scene from The Giggle, you know, sort of the the very silly meshed up with the very sinister. Um, so let's let's just talk about sort of the episode, the goblins, the resolution, anything else you want to add about it, really. Uh, so do you want to go first, Greg? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like, I, I saw all the, you know, I, I know that the goblin song charted and I know that people have been arguing about it on social media for much longer than the episode's actually been on, but... I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem that significant to me, honestly. It just seemed like a fun little scene in the middle of the episode. Like it. It, it didn't bother me at all, really. Uh, Judy Gott was a really good singer. I learned that. But no, I mean, I, I think the, the the song aside, I, I think when I said at the at the top of, of 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 our episode here that you know some of the weaknesses of the RTD era are on display in this story. I think the goblins are an example of that. I love the concept of it. I love, again, that they're more fantastical. I love that the doctor is like having conversations with rope. Like it's, it's really going away from like the hard science grounding. And I'm fine with that. I just think that the goblins themselves like really feel like an afterthought in the story. Like I, I, they're, they're really just there as a plot device to get the doctor and Ruby together. And because of that, when the doctor still has to resolve the actual problem of the goblins, it it almost feels like a little rushed, a little perfunctory, like, and I, and I think that's because the story focuses so heavily on the characters that it, it's to the detriment of the plot a little bit. And I'm okay with that because I will always take a character focus over a plot focus. That's just me, but I can understand why people who are more plot oriented would have watched this and been like, well, what, you know, what the heck is, you know, what happened to the goblins? Like, why aren't we learning more about them? Why aren't they doing more? And yeah, I, I think that's, that's really my only issue with it. But again, to me, not a big deal. Song, don't care, but I know a lot of people will disagree. I just kind of read it as another time traveling alien race that, you know, feasts on something a bit parasitic. It's, it's kind of your classic Doctor Who villain, really. Uh, we've seen a lot of iterations of that and, I don't feel the need to know that the goblins come from the planet Goblonia and they develop time travel in the 1500s. I don't, I'm not bothered about any of that. Um, it it served its purpose and it was, you know, it was a fun, good chunk of the episode. They made a good villain. Well, I mean, looping back to the comparisons to Rose, I think they pretty much fulfil exactly the same role as the Autons. They're a threat and um, and like you've got the big... Uh, blob of nesting consciousness at the end you have the king goblin in this one um but i think the difference is that they're like a new a new uh species and there is something quite different and special about all this stuff about coincidence and magic and i feel like that was quite a rich interesting theme that got a bit buried amongst all the other stuff about like introducing ruby and the new doctor and her family 
Uh, and I hope we come back to that and maybe it's going to be tied in with those hints that the toy maker was dropping about other gods and monsters and this pantheon and hordes that are on the way. Um, I wouldn't mind delving back into that and seeing how the Doctor copes with this new universe where there's new rules and uh, and new threats. Um, but they looked they looked really good. Uh, I didn't mind the song. I think I think it was it, it it was it was released for charity, so I'm not going to begrudge them putting it out. But I think it, it sort of hurt it a little bit to be so familiar with that scene with the music video. Um, if that had just popped up as a nice surprise within the episode, I think it would have been slightly better. Um, especially as that's like most of what we see of the goblins. There's not a lot more to to their appearance other than that than that musical number. Um, I thought it worked okay, and yeah, like I said, I would like to see more of those sort of fantastical, magical elements to mix things up in future stories. Yeah, it's uh, sort of moving into the fantastical stuff. It definitely gave me a sort of a. I mean, I suggested this when we talked about the giggle. It it, it sort of had echoes of the Seventh Doctor era when he starts chasing after gods and all this kind of thing. Um, and I, I sort of do genuinely wonder if the, that's where all of this is going. Um, if we're going to end up with some Seventh Doctor style battle against gods of Ragnarok and all this kind of thing, um, I'm, I'm holding on to that bit of speculation. And the fact that the goblins have kind of subtly brought more of a, a fantasy esque element into Doctor Who, maybe. I'm, like I say, I'm sticking with it. I'm carrying on with that bit of speculation until I'm proved wrong, which, fine if I am. Um, but it, it kind of links into our last point of discussion, actually, which is things that have been left hanging. Uh, the obvious one is obviously Mrs. Flood and that mid credit scene. You know, she knows what TARDIS is. Oh, my God. Um, the toy maker mentioned that things were things were coming, that there was one being that even he wouldn't mess with and it, it kind of suggests that we are we are heading towards some kind of awesome power type villain um and maybe mrs flood somehow ties into that um i don't know don't know if you've got anything you want to add to that greg it's hard to say because like i was just saying before rtd has this tendency to layer in these you know suggestions about things that are coming and then not pick up on them for a long time or pick up on them in a way that's completely different from what you think he might have been setting up so it's hard to say in that respect i mean obviously there is something with mrs flood that's gonna you know come back later like you don't just have a character look straight into camera and talk about the tardis if you're not you know setting something up uh, he wouldn't have the toy maker say, my legions are coming if, you know, something isn't on the way. But, I mean, I, I, I just have a hard time commenting on it because I, I genuinely have no idea where it's going. Um, the only thing I would say is that, you know, I, I've also seen people like, oh, you know, what about the, the hand that picked up the master's ring? And, like, to me, that was just a gag. Like, that was just a, an obvious visual reference back to the end of Last of the Time Lords, and I, I really don't think there's anything to be taken away from that. 
maybe I'm wrong, but that that just seemed like a, a joke to me. But I don't know. I, I I I'm honestly I'm 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 just going into this upcoming series one or season one or whatever they're calling it with an open mind and. I'm excited to see where it goes, but you know, in terms of what's going to be picked up on, I I have no idea. Yeah, I'm certainly not expecting some massive battle with Fenric, but I I do wonder if the concept of higher beings, higher powers, that kind of thing, is going to be sort of flooded into it a little bit. Anything you want to add, Mansoor? Um, just to say, I I think the chances are quite high that we'll see some of this developed in some way. Uh, in this next eight episode run just based on what we've seen in the episodes but also Russell T Davis has been saying that it's coming and um, I think he's like a very thoughtful like promoter of the show uh, and I don't think he'd be hyping up something that's two years away I think he'd be dropping these hints about something that is on the way this year so yeah, we do, we don't know what form it will take, but I think we're going to see something um, in twenty twenty four. And yeah, like I said before, I'm I'm quite excited about that. Like Russell T Davis wrote a book in the New Adventures series of books, um, and while I'm not expecting him to suddenly turn the show into a direct adaptation of those novels, um, it's not beyond the realms of possibilities that he's going to pull in some elements um, of, you know, what the Seventh Doctor was going up against in those in those stories. Damaged Goods remade for TV would be absolutely brilliant, <laughs> though. <laughs> it, would, it would make a good Torchwood story, I think, like a Torchwood movie. Like, might yeah. suit, suit the tone better if they turned it into that. Anyhow, um, so we, we have quite thoroughly, I think, discussed the church on Ruby Road, the new Doctor, the new companion, and where things are going. And I think it's very very fair to conclude that it's all looking a bit exciting and i think that we're on for what's going to be a particularly good series uh in may which feels so far away but is absolutely nothing in comparison to the doctor who drought before um uh, before the star beast so it, it's not that long not too long at all and i'm looking forward to it uh, but that is all we have time for now. Uh, but we will be back for more spodcasting very soon. In the meantime, though, I will say goodbye to Mansell. Goodbye. And I'll say goodbye to Greg. See you next time. Goodbye now. <laughs>